We're going to have some fun tonight. We are launching into 20, or I guess we're already into our 21 days of prayer and fasting. Who knew this was happening? The rest of you guys, surprise! <laughs> so, so we're starting our year going, God, we want to put you first. We want to seek you first, and we want to see your will done in our lives and in this year, in our city, in our state, in our nation, in our church. God, use us. And as we get ready, as we start, as we launch into this thing, we take off, it's probably not a shock to too many of you for me to say, as a Christian, you should pray. Most of you guys are like, got that. Sunday school, 101, Jesus is the answer, read your Bible, pray. Like I got like basics from Sunday school. This is what I retained. This is what I'm supposed to do. And I, and I got thinking about this and, and Matthew chapter 6 Verse 5, Jesus is talking about prayer, and, and it lays out, or it makes an assumption that it reveals to us that is just very, very fundamental to prayer. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says this. He says, when you pray. He doesn't say if you pray. He says when you pray. In fact, in this little dialogue, three different times, he doesn't say if. He says when you pray. And he just lays out this, I expect you to pray. And most of us aren't like overwhelmingly surprised by the fact that Jesus expects us to pray. So as I was reading this, I'm like, okay, so he says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. And when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. And when you pray, and he gives us these instructions. And then I, I read 1 Thessalonians 5.17, and it tells us to pray without ceasing. And then I looked over and he, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, and he's talking and he tells us, to, um, not to be anxious about anything, but in everything in prayer and supplication to bring it before God. And I'm like, this is awesome. There's all this, I'm supposed to pray. He expects me to pray. I'm supposed to bring my prayer request to him. Why don't most of us pray? And as I got thinking, I'm like, most of us aren't surprised when I say we're supposed to pray. And if we were to ask, we're like, well, yeah, yeah, I pray. And you're like, well, when? And about what? You're like, well, like my food. I pray for my food. And, and then you're like, well, yeah, and then, then maybe I, I might pray before bed, or maybe I pray when that guy pulled out in front of me and I told him I was going to sideswipe him, like I was praying then, or when they put that fasten the seatbelt sign on in the plane and it started bouncing in the air, I was praying. Like, you're in a plane and it starts bouncing, atheists start praying. Like, I don't believe in God. I don't care, I'm praying, maybe it'll work. You know, like, latch this effort, hail Mary pass. Like, I don't matter. Like, anyone is praying. But why is it? That most people who are Christians who say, you know what, I believe that I am supposed to pray, hardly ever pray. Unless the doctor's like, you know what, there's nothing else we can do. And then they're like, well, all that we can do is pray. You're like, so you're telling me you haven't prayed yet? Mostly. Like, I mentioned it when I was praying over the food. I'm like, thank you God for this food and for maybe healing me. Amen. And, and so, so often it, it's not done. And as I was pondering, it's like, well, why, why is it that we could know that we're supposed to, we know that it's Jesus's expectation, that he, he tells us to pray all the time, that he tells us that we're supposed to take these things to pray, then why is it that we don't? And I said, you know, I, I looked and I'm like, I think it comes down to one of three massive misconceptions. And before we, we get into some of the, the reasons, I want to kind of pop a couple bubbles. And the first bubble is really simple, and it will kind of reflect on most of the message. But 
Prayer, it is not an empty obligation. But for a lot of people, they think that prayer is something that we're supposed to do for the sake of doing it. Um, I have kids, and a lot of times they think I'm telling them to do stuff simply for the sake of doing it. And you're like, there's a purpose. And they're like, no, it's not. Brushing your teeth doesn't have a purpose. And you're like, yes, it does. No, it doesn't. I'm like, I have traveled the places where they don't brush. Trust me, it has a purpose. If you want to keep your teeth, get out the toothbrush. But a lot of us think of prayer like this. They're like, mom, why should I make my bed? I'm going to get back in it tonight. And they just think that it's just this checkbox that says, I'm a good Christian and I prayed. It's like, well, are you going to pray? They're like, yeah, thank you, God, I prayed. Okay. And they don't have much of a prayer life because their definition, their understanding of prayer is prayer is something you do because you're supposed to. And its function is checking it off a list so that you feel spiritual. If this is your outlook on prayer, it is no surprise that your prayer life is limited to emergencies, and possibly before you eat. But that's where a lot of people are. And a lot of them go, no, no, I I think it's more than that. But when they actually look at their practice, it's because they believe that prayer is simply an obligation. And it's not. Prayer is incredibly powerful. It is an opportunity for us to partner with God to change the world. And we'll get into how it works and, and, and why prayer is so important in a minute. But A lot of other people think that prayer is all about telling God what you need. That prayer is when God finds out what's going on in your life. And that you need to pray so that God can be aware. And they treat God like giant Santa. God is is like the all-powerful cosmic Santa. And they're just like, well... You never know. And they just like start sending off these prayers. God, I would like. God, I want. Could you please? I would like some more. And if you'd maybe possibly bless my this. And and that's their prayer life. This this holiday season, my wife likes Christmas movies. And so I watch them because I like my wife. And so we're watching this, this Christmas movie. And while we're watching it, there's this teenager who doesn't believe in Santa. Um, And then later in the movie, we discover that he wrote a letter to Santa. His mom finds out, and she's like, you wrote a letter to Santa? And he responds, he's like, just got to cover my bases. He's just like, you know, don't think there is, but maybe just perhaps, and so better safe than sorry, and throw it out there. And I feel like that's how a lot of people pray. They're like, you know, I don't think this is going to work, but you you never know. It worked for somebody, maybe for me. It's like the lotto. Just throw it out there and maybe you'll win it. And, and, and so that they, they throw this out there and they're like, okay, well, well I've got to, to let God know and just maybe he'll want to do something. But Matthew chapter 6, verse, um, uh, we'll read 7 and 8. It says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. And as I read this, I thought, okay, first off, this is obviously not when God finds out if he knows what I need before I ask him. So this is like answers question number one, but this is going to bring up question number two that we're going to address in a minute that's kind of the whole point of the message. But if God already knows, why do I got to pray it? 
I don't know if anyone ever else wondered that. You're like, you know, if, like, if, 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 if I'm informing God, that makes sense. But if, if God already knows, what is the point of me praying? If he wants to do it, why doesn't he just do it? Because he's God and he's all powerful. And it, like, it left me confused as a kid. And if you have that same confusion, I will help. I'll try to help unconfuse you in a minute. But, but when you think that prayer is just, I just got to tell God, then, and, and this is just, a, a giant Santa, then you probably won't pray very much. And others, they're like, well, you know what? I'm going to pray and I'm going to fast and I'm all about fasting and we're, okay, I say I'm all about fasting. I fast. I'm really not all about fasting. Um, I really don't enjoy fasting, but I don't think I'm supposed to, so that's okay. Um, I fast because it's good for me to decide that I love God more than I love food, more than I love TV, more than I love entertainment, because I want to put God first in my life, not because it gives me warm fuzzies inside. Um, but a lot of people think that in their prayer, if they can formulate the right words and they can say it right, they can like twist God's arm and put it up behind his back and get the request. And they're like, maybe they're like, I won't eat for three days. And if that doesn't work, maybe I won't eat for four. And then God's got to answer me. That's not how it works. Prayer is not my manipulating of God. It's not like I have the perfect magic prayer formula. So God has to do what I say. God is not a genie in a bottle. You didn't find him. You didn't rub a lamp and he didn't pop out that way. That's not how it works. Like God is not a cosmic genie. It's not my manipulating him. He says this, he says, in Matthew 6, we're going to go back to, or to verse 9, he says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This section and the last section totally threw me for a loop uh, growing up. So, first off, I don't need to tell him because he already knows. Secondly, he tells me to pray what he already wants. Well, that confused me because I was trying to pray it to get him to want it. But if I'm already supposed to pray for what he wants and he already knows, then there is more to prayer than me twisting God's arm or me informing God of something. And so I was like, okay, if, if, if this isn't what prayer is, then what is prayer? And I, and I started to look at this and there's, there's a lot to prayer. I'm not going to give you everything that prayer is inside of one night. That would be a very, very long night. And you wouldn't like me at the end. So um, we're going we're gonna to keep it short tonight-ish. Uh, um, prayer is the expression of man's relationship with God and participation in his purpose. Uh, it's a quote from Dr. Miles Monroe, and I, I really like it. And, it. and it starts out, and it kind of talks about that this is this is part of our relationship with God. And there is a relational aspect of prayer that is incredibly important. If you have a relationship with somebody, you spend time with them and you talk to them. If you don't, your relationship will fade, I promise. I went to college overseas and so I met all sorts of really cool people. The college I was at was 70% international students and they were from everywhere. But when you finish college and you, everyone moves back home, if you don't keep talking, your relationship goes poof. And it just disappears. It's not like I have anything against them, but if I never talk to them, do you think we're close? 
No. So there is a relational aspect of prayer that is very important, and we will cover that at another point. But this last part about partnering with God, with participation in his purpose, is where I want to focus tonight. Because prayer is a result of God's established authority structure between heaven and earth. Prayer is a large part of prayer is about authority. And when I begin to, under, to read this, it, it, I don't know, it surprised me because you've got all-powerful God and then you have me. And, and I'm not trying to be like, like condemning of myself, but I'm not that amazing. And so you've got all-powerful God and you're me and you're like, how does my prayer have the authority to change things with God? Because I obviously... He already knew it. He already wants it. So what does my role actually contribute to making a difference? Because it just seems very lopsided, and I'm on the little side here. And so I begin to look, and, and my, uh, Miles Monroe, he, he worded it really well. He's like, um, the, the authority of prayer is because prayer was born out of God's arrangement, arrangement for man's assignment on earth. It happened when the Creator spoke two words during the creation process. Let them. Um, if you're new to faith, I'll, I'll help you out here, but we're going to go back to creation. God's making, makes the heavens, makes the earth, and he's getting ready to make man and woman to put them in the garden. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God says this. He says, let us make man in our image and let them have dominion over the earth. And he, he establishes his plan is to give dominion, to give rulership to man of the creation that all-powerful, amazing God just created. So God is the powerful one, but he gives the control, he gives authority to man. And then after he makes man, he says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over, and he begins to list it. And so he says, I'm going to give you dominion. I'm going to give you control over it. So prayer... When I pray, God gave us authority here. When I pray, I am using the authority that he gave us to give him back legal right to move in this world. Amen. And it's this, this team effort. But it, I don't know, as a, as a kid, this was really hard for me to understand because people will look at you and they're like, but isn't God all powerful? If God's all powerful, then what does it matter? And then all of a sudden, I had, I had a, this great illustration this week. We had Christmas break, we got presents, and we hung out with my kids, and one of the presents that they got was checkers. Um, how many of you guys know what checkers is, know how to play checkers? All right, I'm going to have to educate some of you. Very simple game here. It's played on a chessboard. It's checkered. It's got dark squares, and it's got light squares. And you've got pieces, and there are rules. The rules state how you're allowed to move the pieces, and how you steal or take out your opponent's pieces. And if you don't know how to play, that doesn't matter. You don't need to know the rules for my illustration to work. You just need to know there are rules. Most games have rules. It's pretty simple. But as I'm teaching my, my little kids this game, they are somewhat uh, frustrated at some of the rules. My one son, like, so one of the rules is they can only go one direction until they've made it all the way across the board and become a king. My son's like, but I don't want to go that way. I want to go this way. And I want to go on this square. And I want to go on this square. And you're like, okay. 
there are rules to the game. If you are playing the game, you have to play by the rules. You can't take it and go, he's going to jump me, and then just take it and like move it to the other side of the board. That, that, that's not how the game works. You have the power to pick up your piece and to put it anywhere you want. But you don't have the authority to pick up the piece and to move it anywhere you want. Because inside the game, there is established rules. The game plays by these rules. When God created the world, God, almighty, all-powerful God, established rules. When God established rules, he then established authority, and he gave that authority to man. And Jesus tells a bunch of different parables on how it's like a, a master loaned it out to a tenant and said, it is yours, take care of it. So he gave us the authority. And as Jesus tells these parables, there will come a day when the king will return. And he, we will give an account for what we did with the authority that he gave us. But as he does this, while we have it, we have authority. And we go, a lot of times people go, well, well, why doesn't he just step in here and there? And, and he actually answers this. Um, and he, and he, there's, there's a parable um, he tells about the, so, the, the tares. That's, we'll just leave that there. Maybe we'll touch on it later. But in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, he, actually, he answers the question from verse 4. And he says, it's not that God is... Um, some of these people think that God isn't coming back. And he sits here and he says in verse 9, he says, it's not that God is slow in keeping his promises. It's that he doesn't want anyone to perish. He establishes this. When, the when God comes back, the game is over. He's the king, he's the boss, and we all give an account. Are you tracking? When he comes back and the game is over, the score is final. You can be behind by two points. When the buzzer goes off, it doesn't matter how many more shots you make. Are you, are you tracking? He says, he's not taking the authority back yet because there's still people that he loves that need to meet Jesus. And he says, I love them enough to wait. And so while he's waiting because he loves them, we're still running with the authority. And when we have the authority, God says, I want to partner with you. Therefore, pray that God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. He tells us what to pray because he wants to partner with us. And as I begin to look at this, I begin to see that this is, like, this is actually not that, like, I don't know, it was such a foreign concept to me in prayer that I had to think about the fact that this, is, this isn't really a foreign concept. We understand that authority has a place. And even those with power have to operate inside the authority. As I was pondering this, I got thinking about policemen. I thought, you know, policemen have power, they have authority, they do all sorts of cool stuff. And I called my friend who's a policeman. I'm like, hey, he happens to be a city policeman. Said, what happens if you're out there and you're in your car, like, and someone commits a crime outside of your jurisdiction? How does this work? And he starts, there's a lot of fine print, but... 
In short, he's like, well, did, did they commit the crime in my jurisdiction and then they fleeing through this one or did they do this and how close to my jurisdiction are there? And he's like going through all these different legal rules. I'm like, okay, you're here in this city, they're in this city. What can you do? He's like, well, if they do this, I'm gonna call their dispatch. I'm gonna make this arrest. I'm gonna do this. I'm like, so you have to call their dispatch. Well, for this one, I gotta call theirs. For this I'm going to partner with them and everything he's, he's sitting here going, well, this is how I do it. And every one of them, he's working with the other city. And he's like, well, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to call them. We're going to, we're going to do this. And if there's this instant problem where someone's about to be hurt, I'm going to jump out. I'm going to act right away. And then I'm going to call this in and then they'll press the charges. And he's going through like the legal way that this works and, and every different way that he's got to do it. And I'm like, okay, in all of these scenarios, you worked with the people who have authority in the place that you just had to operate. I said, what happens if you, not that you would, but if, if you refused to work with the people who have jurisdiction in that area? You didn't talk to their dispatch. You didn't talk to their court. You didn't talk to the state above them. He's like, if, if I don't work in partnership with those who have jurisdiction, who have authority there, I can't do anything. And if I was to try to do something, it wouldn't stick because I have to work with the established authority. And there's a lot of different ways that he can do it. And there's a lot of fine print so that they can work together. But I got thinking, I'm like, okay, so you can't just do whatever you want. You already know that you have to work in a partnership with those who have authority in that place. God gave us authority in this place. And I begin to look through the Bible. I'm like, okay, if this is true, then I'm going to see this throughout the word. And, I, and I'm thinking, and I'm, well, when I look back to Res Kids and I think back to my, my time as a little kid, hearing all these crazy stories, I'm like, there is some crazy things that God does throughout the Bible. And I'm like, what, which, which one? Does, does, is there any of them where God bypasses and God ignores the authority structure that God put in place? And I, and I got thinking, I got thinking of some of the weird ones that, that not everyone's as familiar with. Like there's this time, this guy's out there chopping wood and the axe head flies off of his axe and it goes flying and lands in the river. And I'm like, what happens? He goes, hey, pro, he goes to the prophet. He's like, oh no, it was borrowed. The prophet walks up. He's like, oh, no worries. He breaks a stick and throws it in the water and the axe head floats. So prophet throws a stick in the water, which seems pretty normal. I've thrown lots of sticks in the water and had no metal float. And the metal floats, that's supernatural. Okay, so in this crazy supernatural event here, we still have natural participation where God works with somebody. And then I got thinking like some of the big ones and I'm like, okay, what about, what about when he split the Red Sea? Like that is all God. There's nobody who's gonna sit here and be like, and like hold back the sea. You try holding back the water, it just kind of comes around you and you get wet. It doesn't work. I tried it as a kid, okay? Uh, but God looks at, God, Moses is complaining to God and God complain, talks back to Moses. He's like, what are you doing complaining? Stop complaining and lift up the stick. Lift up your staff. He's like, and he does this and God does this. And the water splits. But Moses participated with God. And, and there's actually four different partings that I could think of off the top of my head that, that go through where seas, rivers part. And in each one, 
God responds in action connected to people. And I, mean, I went through these, and I'm going through story after story after story in my head, and I'm like, well, well God did this, but, but man did this. God did this, man did this. And I, and I found one where, where it seemed like man did nothing. Because in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, Verse 24, it says, when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness and they were being opposed by a massive army uh, made up of Moabites, Ammonites, and some of the Meunites, um, lots of ites, from Edom. So there's three different nations that have gotten together and are coming against them. And when they show up where there's supposed to be a battle, it says they looked toward the multitude and there were dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and the people came to take away the spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry, which they stripped off for themselves, more than they could carry. And they were three days gathering the spoil. There was so much. How long do you think it would take you to take a dead person's stuff? I got to think about this. I'm like, you know, five minutes, maybe. I don't know. I think you could rob a dead person pretty quick. And, uh, if it took them three days, that's a lot of people. Your army is there. So it's not like one guy cleaned up. This is an entire, their whole group. How outnumbered would you have to be for it to take you three days to collect their stuff? And I'm like, I got this. Look at this. Look, God moved. But then you have to look at context. And so I rewound the story just a little ways. And if I go back to the beginning of the chapter, here's what you find. Jehoshaphat was afraid when he got word that these guys were all against him. He set his face to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So the first thing we see is he goes, there's a problem and it's way too big. God, we can't do this. We are outnumbered. God, we need your deliverance here. And they cried out to God. He gathered them all. He said, I want you all to fast because we are all gonna seek God because we can't do this on our own. And they prayed. And when they prayed and when they sought God, God sent a, stirred up stirred in one of the hearts of one of the men there, one of the prophets. And he said, God said, you won't have to lift a finger. Wait today, go tomorrow. To this place. And so he said, okay, we prayed. God gave us an answer, so we're going to trust God. And this is the coolest thing to me. So, they, so they, they trust God, but they trust God so much. They get the army ready, but God said they wouldn't have to lay a finger. So they're like, hey, choir, we want the choir. And the choir's like, okay, yeah, we're going to like follow the army, and we're going to like play like, you know, our God's an awesome God and like triumph. And they go, no, 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 you're not going to follow the army. You're going to lead us. Because God said he'd deliver us and we don't have to fight. Like this, you better trust God because all of your like reinforcements are behind you and you're walking out to face this massive army and you have a drum. <laughs> I'll play my drum for them. Rum, pum, pum. Like, like you really gotta be trusting God. But it says that when they begin to play, when they begin to play, so they have prayed, God answered. And when they played, when they put their trust in God, and they begin to worship him. God sent, right, God stirred up the enemy against itself. So the three nations that had, had gathered there started just to take each other out. 
And by the time the Israelites in the choir arrived, the enemy was destroyed. And I looked and I'm like, okay, this is awesome. But then I, I looked further and Hezekiah, another king, king, has a very similar story. And I begin to look and I begin to see through that over and over again, God goes, yeah, I want to do amazing things. Partner with me. And a lot of times in my head, partnering with God was reduced to an I did something cool. Like I looked at Moses and I'm like, okay, so lifting your stick wasn't that cool, but like you did it. <clears throat> Praying is partnering with God. And when I do, and when I give him authority, God can do amazing things. <clears throat> two years ago, um, or almost two years ago, my daughter was born. Went really well. It was a miracle. Um, but three weeks after she was born, my wife wasn't feeling good. Sorry. But... She, she's like, I, I'm hurting. She calls the doctor. Doctor's like, hey, I'll get you in this afternoon. And before this afternoon, she's like, hey, here, I, I'm, I don't know if I can stand. Can you help me like, make it to the bathroom? And like, I'm walking with her to the bathroom and trying to remember the order of where, but she, she ends up just passing out. Um, Being to like lose control of bowels, I put her on the toilet and I got to hold her up. She passes out on there again is when she goes to get up, throws up everywhere. And she just starts like passing out. Um, Several times, and we're like, okay, forget the doctor's appointment. We got to get to the ER, but I've got to like take care of her, and then I got to get her to the ER, and I got to get someone to watch the kids, and race her to the ER. And we get there, and um, they're not sure what's going on, and they're all confused, and they, they just didn't communicate very well with us what was happening. Um, later, we find out that uh, she'd had a like a cyst from in her uterus from things that had gotten an infection that had then ruptured and the infection was pretty intense and spread, spread really fast. She had sepsis and there were organs that were beginning to shut down. While we were there, we were there for a little while. The hospitals, no offense if you work at a hospital, hospitals are horrible. Um, you just don't want to be there. And when you do, you're like, rest and recover. And then they bug you all the time. Um, during the night, She's trying to sleep. She's supposed to be recovering. And several times um, during this day, she had nurses like just come wake her up in the middle of the night. Not like to check anything. They're just like, are you okay? You okay? I was fine. Get away. We find out afterwards. Uh, the one time they woke her up at three in the morning and we find out they thought she was dying. <clears throat> her heart rate had dropped into the 30s. <clears throat> and as it dropped... They were, they were coming to check to make sure that she was still alive. We get out of the hospital, and we were here at church, and we're talking to somebody. And they look at us, and they go, you know, I don't know what's been going on, but this week, this, this day, I woke up at three in the morning. felt like I had to pray for you. And I sat there, I was like, you know, would my wife still be alive if they'd gone back to sleep? They prayed. They partnered with God. While we were stressed, while we were overwhelmed, trying to take care of her, take care of the kids, just 
God probably tried to wake me up and I was passed out because of all, but they woke up and they said, God, I don't know what's going on, but you work here. God, you have your way. And I trust that if I put my trust in you, that you will follow through. That almighty God wants to work. God, what is it that you want to do? And they prayed. They prayed what they knew. They prayed for health. They prayed for protection. They prayed in the spirit because they didn't know necessarily how to pray. And God showed up. When we pray, God moves. Um, There are so many stories, but God does things in partnership with people. When God's going to move, and sometimes God's partnership is God speaking to you saying, do something. Remember, when I was in college, there was a girl who I was in college with who was praying because she didn't have the money she needed to pay for for school and housing. I don't remember which one was the instant demand. But she prayed. And God put it on my heart that I was supposed to be the answer to that prayer. I'm like, she's going to think I like her. Like, I'm not going to go, like, just hand her hundreds of dollars to take care of her. Like, he's like, doesn't, doesn't have to. I'm like, all right. I felt God's direction. I'm like, all right. Here's what you needed. Love God. Wrapped it up, stuck it in an envelope, and went and dropped it off in the mailbox in the middle of the night. She comes barreling through into college in the morning. You'll never believe what happened! Like, what happened? God wrote me a letter with money in it. <laughs> That's right, he did. You prayed, and God spoke. That time, God spoke, and he spoke to me. And I got to be part of the answer. But when we pray, we're giving God authority to work in this world, in the realm where he gave us authority. Tonight isn't going to be just me telling you what prayer is. I want to give you an opportunity to pray because there is power when we pray. And the Bible says there's power when we pray together. So in just a minute, we're going to do some praying together. And if this is new to you, I'm going to make it easy. But before we do that, I want to share one one more story. Jesus um, is doing amazing things. And th- this story, it comes up in two different Gospels, but you can, I- I'm going to read it from, from Matthew 8. As Jesus is praying, this centurion, this army officer, he, he, comes, he comes to Jesus, or he sends someone to Jesus, and he says, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed in dreadful torment. And Jesus said to him, I'll come and heal him. And this is, be, this is like the desired response. This is what you want to hear. And the Syrian answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority. Having soldiers under me, I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. I read that wrong for years. I th- I, for years, I thought he said, I too am a man of authority. But he said, I too am a man under authority. And he goes, when you submit to an authority, that authority can work through you. And he goes, I know that soldiers obey me because I'm submitted to Rome. You're submitted to God. 
and things happen. You just say the word and it's done. And Jesus is like, dude, you got some faith. Your servant's healed. Go. And gives everyone else a lesson on faith from this guy. But as I was getting ready to do this, I'm like, all right, before we pray, before we gather in some groups and we do some praying, if you're here and you say, you know what? I want to give my life to him. I want to be under his authority. I want to give you that opportunity before we go into this time of prayer. So can everyone bow your heads and close your eyes? If you're here, you say, today, I want to give him my life. This God that loves me, that God that wants to do a work here, I want to make him my Lord. Then when I say three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Get ready. You can know that your sins are forgiven, that you're right with God and on your way to heaven, and you can be under his authority and in a relationship with him. One, two, three. Go ahead and raise your hand. Say, that's me. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to submit my life to him. Awesome. I see your hand. I can see a hand in the back. Who else says that's me? Another one over here. Awesome. Who else? All right. We're going to say a simple prayer and we're going to call on God's name because that's what he says to do. And we're going to declare him to be our Lord. So whether you raised your hand or whether you've done that before, go ahead and join us as we pray this. Say, God, thank you for loving me even when I make mistakes. I'm sorry for the wrong things I've done. I believe that you died and rose again. I choose to follow you from this day forward. I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Give them a really big hand.